You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today the Pacers are surging. They've won five of their last seven, and there's so many interesting storylines and players to talk about in this stretch. TJ McConnell's maybe playing at his career best level. Miles Turner continues to impress. Keelan Martin is killing it right now, and Chris Duarte maybe is hitting a rookie wall. Lots of stuff to get to, and joining me to break down all things Pacers as they surge up to six and eight. Mr. Scott Agnes from FieldhouseFiles.com. Scott, how's it going, man? What's up, Tony? I think we need to address the most important thing that's going on right now. And that's you got Christmas lights up right now. <laughs> I kind of love it. And I'm also kind of laughing at it. It's great. I though. put them up uh, November 2nd. And this is the only room you can see in my house. But they are everywhere. Yeah. They are absolutely everywhere. So I go the other way. I When I put my tree up, it's going to stay up through February, probably until <laughs> about March Madness. Because it's so much work to get it up that I want to enjoy it. So you're doing it on the front end. I get it. It looks good too. Like I want, I want my apartment to look like this. It's more fun than just, and I don't have any, no one can really tell except for the YouTube listeners. I don't have sure. overhead lighting in this room, so I kind of need it. It looks terrible without it. Yeah. The other thing is, as your viewers will know is it's comfy season. I'm cold. <laughs> I'm in jackets. I'm in hats. Let's lounge. I, I was saying, yeah, when we do this podcast, let's just get comfortable and talk some Pacers. So let's do it. So here. I'm all in. We both wrote about the same player in the last 24 hours because he he kind of is the story to me of their five and seven stretch, their turnaround from starting one and six, and that's TJ McConnell. And this has happened in seasons past. He's talked about this with reporters, I think, in every season he's been here. But for some reason, he starts slow with this team, and he comes out of the gate, and he doesn't, he doesn't quite gel with his teammates or in a new system or whatever. And then one day, it just, boom, it clicks. And this year perfect for statistical writing it happened to coincide with a month change but basically once the calendar flipped to november he's been unbelievable i mean several double po- double digit scoring games setting up his teammates clutch scoring controlling the pace of the game however rick carlisle wants it and i think we both wrote the same story but this is far and away the best he's ever played in his career you agree yeah 100 percent. that's what i was getting at and, and i've been because of that it's something i've been wanting to write for several days and I look back and I told you this today at practice. I can't remember this ever happening. TJ has talked after every single game over the last week. And that's unique in its own right because generally PR will like to hold off a guy every once in a while because one, they have nothing new to say and give him a break because then they'll be better off. Well, he's been so good right now that he's been made available for what the last five games. It's been incredible. And then to add to the story last night was the unique 76ers fan in half court and that's when I knew oh yep tonight's the night I'm getting it done yeah it sometimes the stories write themselves and you know that that game would have been his sixth or seventh good game in a row right so I was kind of like okay you know that this is about the McConnell or Turner time whoever it is and he had two points going into the fourth quarter so I thought okay you know maybe this will be the Turner game where and we'll talk about miles later of course but maybe this will be the game where miles becomes the story of this turnaround and then the Sixers cut it to, to four or five and then McConnell just goes, you know what, I'm going to score all the points the rest of the game. And I've never seen him like that before. He's always been this distributor. And I remember Miles told us in a media session this season, like, a lot of the reason he's successful is guys are expecting him to pass. So they're really heavily tied to their man. And so McConnell's just like, okay, I can score. 
And he took over at the end of the Sixers game. And he took over at moments at the end of the Jazz game. And he had some nice buckets in the Kings game down the stretch. Like, clutch play, I get it every so often from one guy. But three games in a week and taking over games, I've just never seen him like this before. And with Brogdon Levert out, it's been such a blessing for this team after they struggled so much. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's one thing to pigeonholing him to being the spark, being the nice guy off the bench. Maybe he has seven assists in a game. He even had like a nine-rebound game uh, last week as well, which was really impressive. On top of that, though, you're right. It's it's how he's doing it. It's While he is shooting the three-point shot infrequently, um, he's been really impressive when he is doing it now. And, and that's all done. We haven't even mentioned it. His wrist isn't great right now. He, he right. suffered a, a minor wrist injury. I think it was a couple weeks ago, and so he's playing through that. And and something I, I know I've been watching, I think you have as well during training camp, is just constantly after practice, the one-on-one work he's done with Jenny Busick. And those those two have really had a tight bond since the very beginning. They're paired together during pregame shooting and such, and I, I think she's been a big help for him. I, does this for you, I, I always think about this kind of stuff when guys are playing really well, does this kind of change any strategy you would have with the rotation? Like I remember early, I think it was a preseason game actually, you were asking about McConnell's minutes with Brogdon and those have still gone well during the season. And now he, you know, every time Levert or, or Brogdon is out, McConnell's huge. You know, I don't think he should start. Obviously he should stay with the bench, but do you feel like he should get a little bump in minutes and maybe share the court with one of those two guys more often if he continues to play this way? thing I've really liked is when McConnell's running the point and Brogdon can go back to being that natural too. And I've discussed this at length, but I think he's better in that position. It's where he excelled and had that 50-40-90 season with the Bucks when he could just space out and shoot. But they also need him to attack because they really only have two true playmakers. Now, Keelan Morton's trying to jump into that conversation here as of the last week. and What? That's <laughs> How did we'll you get to I, I can't believe sure. that's a sentence you said and it's accurate. <laughs> Completely. But with with Malcolm, I mean, uh, and the story I got to write this week is the Pacers struggles to get to the free throw line. And last night I think before the fourth quarter it was something like 25 free throw attempts to like 3. And they were still winning. And so that was a huge concern of last night this whole season. Um and so to your point, I, I think Malcolm needs to be more of that playmaker and I don't mind TJ initiating more of the offense, and you have seen because of injuries mostly, but his minutes have been bumped up to 30 to 33. Now, last night, a little below that, and yet he was still effective. So I, I'm good with all that, but I think there comes a point when you want to maximize it, you know, which might be more about that 25-minute mark, whereas he had been playing, I think, 21 or so. So a slight bump, I think, is well-deserved. I agree, and I, I agree with you about Brogdon. I think the tough thing with him and, and pairing him with McConnell is, Part of Brogdon's appeal of why he came here and why he likes it here so much is he can play the one, right? He he really wanted to be a point guard, and he's good at it. You know, he had the thirty point game five days ago, four days ago now, and you know the triple double against against Philly, and it was the I, I didn't even know it happened until Rick said something in the press conference. Like I had no idea he put up those numbers. So certainly, I think that the Pacers and everyone watching would like him to balance his role a little more. But he wants to play more one, but. If McConnell's playing like this, I kind of just think you go, Malcolm, you're playing off ball for four more minutes a game <laughs> because this guy's so good. We have to do it. And I think he'd be fine with that. Just not full time. Because remember yeah. at his exit interview last year, I asked him, I go, you've dull at the point, but we remember your success at the two. Would you be open to going? And he kind of cut me. No, I'm a point guard. And with <laughs> Malcolm, he's, he's very deliberate, much like uh, Aaron Rodgers. When he says it, he means it, or he says it for a reason. 
one sentence said enough. And um, I, that was all I needed to hear then. Yeah, me too. And I'm going to rely on you for my our next player we're focusing on. And that's Miles Turner. I'm going to rely on you because I didn't start covering the Pacers until the middle of the 2016-17 season, which was his second season. And I know that his rookie season, he wasn't that great. But you would know better than me. I mean, has this last... I mean, we talked about McConnell playing the best he's ever played in his career. I'm going to ask the same Turner question. Do you feel like this is the best he's played his whole career? I know he's had occasional stretches where he's been awesome, but this is, I think, the first time where he's been dominant on both ends for more than three or four games. Right. What we know is what he can do defensively, and I don't try to get caught up in all the blocks. Like That's terrific, but it's also some of the strategy. It's also what they're trying to do. Last year was a disaster, and yet he's still had all those blocks, and I mean disaster team-wise, obviously, in defense. They were, they were one of the worst teams defensively, and it's getting better here. But I, I don't, as much as he likes to get caught up in the blocks, I don't just like to single that out. Now, what he's been able to do, the, what jumps out to me is his mentality, is his confidence level, um, his willingness to shoot and shoot confidently. Um, how about just this past week and, and that fire in his eye none of us have ever seen before? And that fired him up. Of course, he's reading everything on social media, whether he admits it or not, because that's who he is and that's what he loves doing. Some to his detriment and some to fire him up. And so, yeah, he is playing tremendous right now. And I hope and and think they're kind of maybe turning the corner a little bit too with Miles and Domas in that pairing. Although, again, I think it's a conversation most of us are kind of over. (laughs) Right. Rick's already tired of it and he's he's had it for like what two months? My so. favorite was he got the question on back to back days from a visiting media member. Yeah. And this was a week into the season. Miami was the second home game, first first home game, actually. It was home opener. He was like, you know what? I think the people around here are tired of this question. <laughs> and Rick was a month into the season. Yeah, Tom Lewis uh, from Indy Corners and I always joke like, Oh man, I wonder how many road people are gonna ask that question this season. The answer is going to be almost every game. But yeah, the way, thing, have you noticed the first question actually now this year on road games? Chris Duarte. Chris Did Duarte. Yeah, to be this productive. What has it been like to see him jump off? Yeah, that, that happened in Utah. I think there were like three straight questions. Deservedly. And we'll we'll get to him later as well, but not for the same reason we're getting to everybody else. What's up, guys? Quick little break so we can talk about two of today's sponsors. The first one, the good folks over at Prize Picks, who have the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. Prize Picks offers more NBA props than any other. DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each game for any prop you can think of yardage to touchdowns even interceptions thrown and all users that deposit and then use our promo code when you sign up will receive a 100% instant match deposit up to $100 just be sure to use the promo code MBA when you sign up they allow mixed sport entries you can use the award-winning app on the app store and google play entries can be made in 60 seconds or less it's that easy prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com today. Use the promo code MBA or go to the App Store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. And let's also talk about the good folks over at DirecTV because does this sound familiar? If you're like me, it does. You've got one device that you can watch the games live on, another to stream your favorite shows, one to watch sports highlights, and of course, your parents log in for Netflix or the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love. Without all the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together, it's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there is no annual contract, so get rid of the clutter and the confusion. 
and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Yeah, with with Miles, uh, two things stand out to me. One, actually, I want to go back to the blocks things you said, just because I saw the perfect analogy for this on Twitter yesterday. Seth Partnow uh, of The Athletic shared it in a Twitter thread. It was actually a tweet about hockey, but it applied very well to Miles Turner. And it was comparing blocks to exterminating rats. And it said, if you have to exterminate a lot of rats, you should. it's always good to exterminate the rat. But the problem at some point is, why do you have so many rats that you have <laughs> to exterminate, right? So with Turner blocks, it's kind of the same. It's like, great, he's doing an awesome job stopping guys at the rim and blocking all these shots. But why does he have to do that so much? And, and some of it is strategic, of course. Um, but sometimes it's not. So, of course, he's excellent at, at cleaning up other guys' messes, but that's a whole different discussion. You mentioned their defense struggling last season as well. But this season, two things stand out to me. One is he's always been a good box-out guy, but never a good go-get-the-rebound guy. He's been better at, that's mine. I'm getting that rebound in a way that I've never seen from him before. And the other one is fans always harp on this. In big games, he's playing against a good center who kicks his butt. He shrivels up sometimes. He plays poorly. And just in the last week, he played well. Against Gobert, he hung with Rashawn Holmes, who killed him last year. He hung with Drummond, who's killed him his entire career. And, like, none of those – Gobert is a stud, but the other two guys aren't necessarily, like, huge names, but still guys who have kicked his ass in his career, and he hung with them for the first time in a while. So I think those are two meaningful steps forward for him and a big part of why – I th- maybe not the best stretch of his Pacers career, but it's up there in terms of the best he's played since being drafted by this team. Maybe the most complete, Tony, right? Yes, I like that. Some of better defense, but now he's doing a little bit of everything. Offense. And and to your point about rebounding, I like to remind fans in the past, at least, his job was not necessarily to get the rebound. The coaches, Nate and new and old, told him, take care of your man and let the guards and everybody else go get the rebound. You're, we're, you're more beneficial to us if you eliminate your guy, the center, like a Drummond, because you're right. Andre had killed him in the past. Um, Rudy, I think he easily at least held his own and and frustrated Rudy. Who's, they, they're often boxed into that. They're often put into that same box, right, where great defenders, good shot blockers um, can defend a little bit further out from the basket, maybe a little bit soft. Those are both languages that have been applied to both of them. But I, I, I did think it was funny that those two basically had a wrestling match or <laughs> dancing. I talked to one of the coaches yesterday and they were cracking up uh, both about the ejections and the fact that there was that video going around of like Titanic and the views yes. of, of them dancing. And it was the same kind of thing. So um, old school coaches kind of laugh at that because they remember the Pistons, the, the old school Pacers, that type of thing, um, when you could be more physical and not much come of it. Yeah, ejections were a little surprising to me. I, I don't really care to relitigate that. No one got suspended. It sure. was fun. And, and, and but also to another point of Miles, like he's never done that kind of stuff before, right? Like besides, I think besides flipping off the fans in Philly that one time, I've never seen that kind of fire from him in a game. Yeah, and he wasn't the only one. I think Wesley Matthews, got into it a little bit with Philly fans. And and that's why it, the other day against the 76ers with that Sixers fan coming to Indy and creating some fun was great. And then I brought up too within that story the fact that, do you remember TJ McConnell's first game as a pacer against the 76ers here? There was like a group, I want to say of 20, I don't know how many, sat in the balcony, cheered for McConnell, but against the Pacers, obviously. And so they're, they're a passionate fan base, but they also uh, like to stir things up. And, and as you said, Miles did not take lightly to that. 
I remember that game too because I think they were there to boo Brogdon also, right? Yes. For the the rookie because of the year thing. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly. <laughs> right. That was fun. I like when when there's traveling fans who add to the game in that case. The 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 thing about this Miles turnaround and his stunning elevation of play is is unlike you know it, it's kind of like McConnell where they went from bad to good like within the season, but McConnell kind of struggles at the start of every year. Miles at the start of this season, like fouling like crazy and his shot wasn't falling outside of the 40 point game. Like he was playing. Why did did he play against um, in their fourth game or their fifth game? He played like 12 minutes or something like that. Um, He played 14 minutes. uh, There was a couple couple times when Carlisle elected to stay with what had worked. And a couple times it was even Goga late in games. You had Goga and Domas, which number one was just interesting to see those two play together, but they did it in, in some closing time. I do have a story about that pairing coming. So thank you for unintentionally saying that without me asking there you, you too. That's a little tease for you. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so to go from that to where Rick's like, yeah, I can, I, I think we have a better chance of winning with something else to like, okay, yeah, you're, you've been like one of our most supported players in the last 10 days has been jarring. It, it was, it was stunning to me at first in the season that he was not ineffective necessarily, but just couldn't get on the floor. Like couldn't find ways to be miles to going to like, wow, this, like every time they're in a, in a bad run, they just stick him in and it fixes things. Yeah, he's been really good. And I, can he keep this up? Can he maintain this level? Um, it's, it's It's been what the Pacers have needed at this point. So it's been really encouraging. And in part, why, as you said, from the jump, they've won five of seven. So no more playing good cops, Scott. We got to be mean for a second. We got to do our first negative player focus. That's Chris Duarte, and I, it's the first time after a whole week of assessing what's going on with this team, you have to look at Duarte, and not, you know, I have to preface this. I think he's been hurt in since the Sacramento game. He was holding his shoulder in that game at one point, and his jumpers looked a little awry since then, and then twice this season he's gotten hurt in the middle of a game and come, come back. He, he certainly is a fighter through injuries, but I'm not sure he's 100%. Still, not an excuse for his play. He was completely gassed in Denver. Easily his worst game of the season. Only scored seven points against Philly. And he played fine in that game. He he only took six shots. But his level of play has decreased. Both his guys have come back and his other guys have stepped up. Do you feel like he's hitting a rookie wall? Or do you alternatively, I mean, maybe there's a third option here, but do you also alternatively feel like as McConnell has stepped up and needed the ball more and as he's been injured, those have been bigger factors in his struggles recently? To me, and if I can get around to it, it was something I was going to hit on here. I, I think with Chris, the biggest thing for him has been the newness, the big road trip. Like in college, you play two games a week max, right? Like I'm thinking Big Ten, but it's like Tuesday, Saturday. Well, he just wrapped up three games and four nights again. How about playing in three different time zones in a week? The Denver altitude, the Utah in altitude. Those are things that nobody can pre- prepare you for. Malcolm and TJ, all they want could put an arm around his shoulder and coach him up a little bit about it. But until you go through it, that's a whole different ball game. Secondly, I think not only is he now on scouting reports, but he's highlighted in yellow. Don't allow this guy to get open shots. It doesn't matter if he's at the arc or five feet back from it, because we saw starting fan jam, how his willingness to shoot deep and how he's been able to knock them down uh, effectively. Then I think the third factor probably is he's got a little tweaks here and there, right? He banged his knee one game. Last game, he had an ankle sprain, and it's not a given that he's going to be available right away this week in New York. Although, as I noted, New York's the one game, if any, he wants to play in. He's got a big following out there. I think there's a, a lot of Dominicans out there as well. It's also where he played high school ball and intended his first 
uh, NBA game was at Madison Square Garden. So if it's up to him, he'll be out there. Hey guys, one more short little break here so I can tell you about the good folks over at Built Bar because they're making the best tasting protein bars ever. And I love Thanksgiving. I had a Friendsgiving with some people just today. All the good foods and treats, there's plenty of them everywhere, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. It's the perfect time for Built Bars, the new holiday dessert. You can feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That's the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories and only four grams of sugar. Replace coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar. They're delicious. Replace the raspberry Built Bar for that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, but high protein, 100% real chocolate protein bars. They're absolutely delicious. They're the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. They're a great option when you're hungry. They're a good meal replacement or a good snack. You can share them with your family and friends. They have tons of new flavors coming out all month and Black Friday deals coming up. There's nothing quite like Built Bars. You got to check them out. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. You'll get 15% off your order. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And uh, the Knicks wanted to draft him, so... Looking good against a team that very much likes your skills. They sure did. That was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Always exciting for these young guys. And he's fought through these injuries before. Something else I want to add in about maybe his altered play here and not necessarily struggles was in his first five games, he had more than one assist just once. Right. And I think that we've seen Carlisle talk to him about this uh, during games even. And he Carlisle's talked about this in, in pressers and so have other players. It's like Malcolm especially has been saying, if your shot's not falling, like get in the paint still, but pass, like look to kick it out. Your teammates will be open. And he added a skip pass in about 10 games in. And now in his last five, he has more than one assist in three of them. Right. And against the Sixers last night, I think he had three assists in the first quarter, found miles on a very nice pass uh, in the post that, that led to a bucket. Right. So I think too, as his season progresses and teams have him in yellow on the scouting report, as you said, he's finding his way to be effective, not by being the scorer or the deep threat he was, but also by, by passing. So, Certainly less effective in the ways we saw at the beginning of the season that were like, holy crap, this this guy's awesome and and was getting on the, the rookie of the year ladders really early. But he's, he's kind of tweaking what he needs to do. So, again, I, th- I certainly think that he's been worse since uh, after those first 10 games, but he's being effective in other ways, which is encouraging. And uh, yes, I also agree that the road trip was killer for him. I mean, in the Denver game, he was sweating bullets in the third quarter i was waiting for them to get that like gas mask whatever oxygen the oxygen <laughs> mask like in a football game because they turned to him and it wasn't even the first quarter it was the third quarter and he was burning and guys always talk about the altitude and the first quarter being incredibly difficult but then you kind of settle in you get your footing there uh he never really did all game long and to your point about what he's able to been able to do i thought he was too one-dimensional the first week he was just knocking down shots and um, the other thing, though, too, was he was unwilling or he was willing to take whatever. Like there was a couple games when he had the most shot attempts on the team, 17 shot attempts, whatever. And a lot of that was good. But I didn't want to see him just settle for shots, attack more. He needs he needs more assists because, yeah, like one is not enough for a guard. And I'd like to see him much like anyone on this roster get to the free throw line more often. Yes. Yes. On the free throw attempts. And I think he can drive, but his touches going down is kind of neutered that from being a, being a rookie you're not going to get the benefit of the call there's been a couple right. where he's been bodied looks for the call maybe he was slapped on the forearm and i'm like probably a foul ref doesn't know you yet so you're not getting the benefit of it the knee to knee where he got hurt i forget who that was against and they didn't, they didn't call anything he turned it over i was like how would, that one should have been a foul to me that was the most egregious one 
What I've liked though is his toughness, though, is he's returned both times yep. from those. Yep. That and then the ankle injury the other day because he was gimpy. He went back to the locker room with Carly and the athletic trainer. Uh, took a little bit, but then returned. wasn't quite himself, but was able to do so. So that was a good an indication, I think, of his toughness and want to to get back. So with the obvious, we're only 14 games in caveat. I have to call to your, you've covered the team longer than me, experience. Best Pacers rookie since blank. I would have to go much further back than time because I even yeah. run in that first week, Paul George. But remember, Paul George, he didn't play much until late in his rookie year. That's when he actually learned to play defense. He was not a good defender. And he sat back at his locker, was pissed off, and was like, the only way I'm going to get in here is to learn to play defense. And then he can't take me off the floor, talking about Jim O'Brien. And you, you, do you remember his tweet? That's the most memorable thing of all time for me is what was he was asked by a fan back when he was actually active and not just promotions on Twitter. And, uh, you know, what was your favorite rookie memory? And he goes, when Jim O'Brien got fired, they despised him. Um, he was the opposite of Frank Vogel. Uh, when he was an optimist, Jim O'Brien tore them apart, especially a guy like Roy Hibbert. So um, I, I'm not even, you'd have to go back, I think, a couple decades. And that's primarily because of where the Pacers draft. You're just rarely going to get an impact rookie, especially a couple weeks into the season when you're picking 8th to 23rd year after year. So it's certainly before my time covering the team, which extends back to Paul George and Lance Stevenson. One guy I've heard is is Tinsley, who was really good his rookie year. It, it doesn't sound like a, a flashy name, but he was actually pretty good at, yeah. at first in his career, pre-Brawl, and that team's, I don't even know what to call it, perception completely tanking publicly. <laughs> it's like, what The thing about Jamal, too, that I mentioned is he was the last true point guard the Pacers have had. I don't think they've yeah. had a true one since then. And I, I still, while I, I still like to see them look into that because I think that's a huge... Uh, need for any team. Right. And something I've, th I've been kind of just thinking about as a curious person in my head recently is like everyone I ask who's covered the team for a long time or the NBA in general has, has said, I have to go back past whatever, back past Paul, back past Miles, back past whoever. And like Miles is really good. And he's been on the team for seven years now. Like if you're a fan, internalize like Chris Tuarte is that good and he's going to be here for at least five years if contract stuff goes the way it, the NBA wants it to with restricted free agency and such. So barring a trade, of course. So that's that should be exciting. I mean, he's he's been awesome. And this last week certainly has shown his flaws and how teams can can shut him down. But it's very exciting still how good he's been. Yeah, and I think back to Miles Turner. He had an injury his second, really first full month. It was November of his rookie year. So he missed incredibly valuable time. I think it was November to January with, I want to say it was a, something, a finger injury, something that kept him out for quite a bit of time, but it did allow him to soak in the game a little bit more because they always talk about, the rookies do, the pace and the speed at which it's played at and so much newness. A lot of these guys, most of these guys, they've never played against. So that's a lot of what the first season is about for these individuals is, is just learning the game, learning the coaches, meeting the officials for the first time. I have to go to a guy that has surprised both me and you substantially in the past couple of days. And that's Keelan Martin because <laughs> like he, he had that stretch at the end of last season. He had that big game in San Antonio. He hit three threes when they won in overtime and 25 points in Cleveland. He came on at the end of the year and showed why he's on the team. But, you know, the, the contract situation and the before Sumner got hurt and when they were looking to, to deal him, it kind of felt like, you know, his time might be up with this team. But he kept fighting and pushing that date back and he made the roster. And I kind of thought he'd just be the 15th guy all season. 
but he's been awesome this last couple of games in like a way you never expected. Like against Denver, he only he only played a little bit. He only had five points in that game, but he had a pull up three around a Sabonis screen, and that was the first moment of the season. I was like, whoa, you know, they're letting him handle the ball like in in important situations. And then fourteen points against Utah, thirteen points against Philly, some nice like creating his own bucket moments that you go. What was that last year? I've never seen him do anything like that. I know Butler fans have seen it, but I've never seen it in the NBA. Where did this come from? Like, uh, it's very stunning to me to see this. Do you feel like he can keep doing this? Does he does, does he continue to play in this rotation? Where are you at with him right now? So I was really surprised kind of the second week in the season when Rick started going to Keelan over O'Shea Brissett because to me, there was a clear distinction. O'Shea was more productive, uh, can contribute in more ways, was better defensively, um, did not necessarily have that knack for scoring or look to score as does Keelan. And I think that's been the big separator here, Tony, is Keelan is, has been decisive. He's knocked down shots. And really, if all they do is one thing in that role, bearing injuries, what they need is just a knockdown shooter to sit in the corner. And Keelan not only has done that but he's knocked him down and, and exceed, succeeded in that and to the point where we see we saw him take a, a bad three-pointer but that was a heat check I think on the left arc of Saturday's uh, win against the 76ers we saw him cross over his workout partner and George Niang uh, which I'm sure there that would have been a fun group text um, to be on afterwards about them talking shit to each other I thought that would have been great but go ahead <laughs> I, I just had a thought you know I don't know if yeah. like like your ninth guy or your role player is going to have like a moment if that even is a thing, you know, like, oh, that's the, the turning point where Keelan Martin became a guy that I feel like you have to play all the time. But he hit a between the legs step back. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. rainbow shot. Yeah, that one over me that I was like, damn, if he can do that, like you got to play him every game. And they played him over Lamb last game and Lamb was active and healthy. So it sure seems like Rick Carlisle feels that way right now. And that, that was a moment for me in my head where I was like, you know, he, it was a no, 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 yes shot where like when he takes it, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. no, why did he do that? And then he drills it. So it, it was very impressive. It, his level of play has been great. And, and Rick keeps talking about his defense. They don't have a guy that size who's stocky. And it, his defense isn't like world changing, but it's good. So it, it's a revelation that they have this wing all of a sudden who no one even thought would play. I, like you, thought O'Shea would get all those minutes, basically. Uh, so it's, it's just been stunning to see him be this good. It really is. I'm I'm very surprised about it because I was told in the offseason, yeah, they keep pushing back his guaranteed date. It's probably not going to stick. There's not much of a role here, and the Pacers would be better off having that flexibility more than anything. So, I mean, I even wrote that in a story. And what he's done, and it clarified this last is when he showed up at, I don't know, fall ball, if you will, or a couple weeks before training camp when the guys were just hanging out and doing working on their own, he started to impress. And I think the number one thing in all this is obviously opportunity. But secondly, is the fact that he's in, he's around here and been in the sis or with this team, with these guys for now a year, he had bounced around, I think a year in Minnesota, maybe a year somewhere else. Um, but here he is. He spent his most of the off season here, went up to Purdue and trained with PJ Thompson almost every day in the off season who, and he works on the staff, a local guy. Um, and so I just see a much more confident player. I see a guy that's decisive and it knows his role. There's something to that. Just knowing what this team needs of you and not doing too much. And that's what he's done over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. If Ed didn't get hurt and even lamb earlier this season doesn't get hurt, he might never make the team or play. Right. So opportunity certainly 
wasn't we'll expected what for him here with Jeremy too. That was a one game thing, right? We didn't play, and it it was not a health thing because I saw him on the court for thirty minutes before the game shooting and everything. He looked fine. Um, remember, he did battle that ankle injury. He has had a lot of ice on him after practices and games, but I think it's a matter of remember Rick at the beginning. And I'm not married to any lineups or rotations. Keelan has played well, deserved deserved more minutes, much like TJ McConnell, and so they've gotten it. Yeah, the, I'm torn with Lamb if it's one game or not because, like, in that game, sir, sir, he didn't play, but like, Lavert was on a restriction and Duarte got hurt in the middle of the game, right? Two things that in theory you'd go, okay, we need you for five minutes, and he still didn't play, right? So if that's a game that he's not playing, and I'm kind of like, eh, we'll see. It's too early to say anything. Maybe against the Knicks tonight he plays, but that that was not surprising to me. But uh, in a maybe it was. It You're right that Rick does because I don't think he's had a healthy scratch since being a Pacer, Tony. Right. Oh, so it absolutely was surprising. Yeah, but I I mean I can't fault Carlisle for any of the choices he made. So uh, certainly makes sense in in that context. And yeah, Keelan's outplayed him. He should he should keep playing if he if he scores like this and can handle the ball around a screen and in this way it, it's it's great for him and. Uh, I, I think that's a big piece they needed was a, another bench wing to come in. I mean, I know they have Craig and Holiday doing great, but neither of them are off the dribble scorers at all. And Keelan's been that guy so far, so it's been huge. Scott, the floor is yours now. And la- I have an idea. <laughs> one, la- but- one last thing on Keelan. I, I I don't expect for him to play 20 minutes a game moving forward. What I, I think, bearing health, is that he's going to be a contributor off the bench who can come in, defend bigger guys for 10 minutes, Maybe a guy gets in foul trouble. He can take the workload off of another guy, hit a couple corner threes. And if that's his role, this team's probably more successful because that means everybody else is working in tune and everything. And I think Rick's realistically going to keep his rotation in no more than nine or 10 during the regular season. And so most of the time, maybe now Keelan will be in it. Although I think there's going to be nights where O'Shea, he plays with energy. He's more versatile offensively and defensively. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to the O'Shea well here in a couple of games and he plays well. Hey, he went to O'Shea against Denver in the first half, which made me think that perhaps that's a turn that is coming at some point, but it only lasted three minutes. I have a topic written down. Okay. It's pretty vague if you don't have anything, but I always like to ask guests, is there anything about the Pacers going on right now or recently that you think is interesting and want to talk about? It's funny when you think about it and talk about it every day, nothing completely jumps out other than just this road heavy schedule. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Basically, they're if I remember correctly, we're basically playing 13 straight road games because I don't count these one offs like Saturday's home game against the 76ers as a true home game because you're coming back. Have they even unpacked? They probably haven't done laundry. They're probably actually spending more time around family. Chris Duarte is great at Instagram and post, you know, just being around his newborn son and he's got a daughter expected coming up in January. And so he values that time. And um, this road trip's got to be tough on him. So you talk about a guy like Chris and his struggles now, you got to wonder, break from his schedule too, and not being around his loved ones and, and, and those that have always been there and supported him. This is just different. So seeing how this team can escape the next month, then I think we'll start to be able to make more observations because much like as, as anybody knows, probably that listens to you or I, I hate predictions, hate, especially preseason. What are we doing? Naming preseason, all Americans in college basketball. Who cares? What, what are the change? Exactly. Crowning nonetheless. Yeah. But uh, I, I joked, I know fans love to support their own, but you know, Chris Borte rookie of the year after 10 days, I'm like small sample size theater here. What are we doing? 
but anyway, that, that's probably the biggest thing on my mind. Yeah, and even Carlisle mentioned that. He's like, you know, we're at home for the Sixers game, but it's not a home game. You know, we're traveling from Utah, and then we're immediately yeah. going to New York. Like, that doesn't count. You only sleep in your own bed once. And then leave right. again. The only reason it was kind of a home game is for guys like Sabonis who take like three-hour naps every day and can do that in their own bed. <laughs> that was a great response, wasn't it? That was good. Yeah, so I agree with you. that it, It's been nuts for everybody, too. Like, even team staff traveling, it's tough on them as well. So that yeah, you know, I always do it in this analogy. Like when they play back to back games at 9 p.m. Eastern or later, like if I'm tired and I cover the team, they're tired and because the, they're playing in the games. Right. And maybe that's stupid because they're athletes with healthier bodies in mind, but they've got to be exhausted. So the schedule is crazy. And, you know, most coaches, when you ask them about the schedule, just say something like we played two games and 41 at home and 41 on the road. But it stood out to me on media day when Carlisle was like, our schedule's hard. <laughs> and, and Pritchard, too, said the same thing. So they all acknowledged this was coming. And that's in part because Rick was part of this last year where they got off in yeah. Dallas, had a terrible schedule, started off poorly, and then recorrected the, themselves. And we're obviously a really good team. And so I think more than anything, he used that as an opportunity to warn fans, hey, regardless of how we look, if we're losing and not getting the results we want, understand this factor that's going into it and what, what it means. It also means things should open up when you clear into 2022 and play easier games and they're basically at home for most of December that's when you want to stack wins then if they don't then you start really getting concerned the topic I had written down that I will let you end us on because again I'm counting on your longtime Pacers experience here (laughs) Uh, the 2012-13 season actually the Pacers started horrible that year I think they were one and six that year two and six that year also and then really turned it around right after and ended up in the conference finals I'm not saying they'll reach the conference finals this year but you were around that team that had that kind of turnaround. And I asked Rick a similar question, although I asked him about a season like 23 seasons ago. But what do you remember about that season and, and that turnaround? And do, can do you see any comparisons this year? Or was that group all different? It's funny. I don't even remember the turnaround. But what I remember most about that in the next year is the personalities and the chemistry. And I know they overuse it, but that was true back then, the togetherness. Rasul Butler, I think, was around that team. Orlando Johnson. Um, maybe Donald Sloan was a part of that. Those guys that weren't even getting action um, were a huge key part, in addition to your guys like a David West and Jan Mahimi and Roy Hibbert. And so it was a bunch of great guys that fit with each other, who liked each other off the court. And so they built on that continuity. And then what I remember specifically going into the ne- that next season, they played with that edge because they didn't reach the finals and thought they should have. And better yet... They had that continuity that they did not have in the year you were referencing. And so I forget, I think they started something like 38 and seven. Like in January, they were still the best team. Um, then they started to collapse a little bit. Then you had that trade um, where you acquired Lavoy Allen, Evan Turner, and, and things kind of went, went to the crapper a little bit there. But otherwise, yeah, I, I don't specifically remember the start of the season, probably just because. I don't make too much of starts in general right. because you got to let every team breathe a little bit and figure out what they have, much like the Lakers. I mean, they completely overhauled their roster. What are you going to make out of two weeks in? You can you can make some some conclusions, but not a ton. I kind of hate this word, but I'm going to use it here. It's just a vibe thing to me. Like McConnell talked about how he could have gotten pouty after his slow start. Like the whole team could have been like that after your one and six. So that's where a turnaround is impressive is that the the, the vibe <laughs> becomes better. Whereas like, in the middle of the season, let's say you're already 30 and 25, and then you go on a one and six stretch. You're like, whatever, we already know we can be good. 
at the start of the season, you have no idea how you can be. So it, I hate to say it's a vibe thing, but it's a vibe thing for you're, me. You're, yeah, and, exactly. and when they and when the season turns out good, you kind of forget about the slow start anyway. So perhaps that that is the the outcome of this season that that will come for the Pacers. Scott, thank you for the time. Where can people follow you and all your Pacers stuff? Yeah, appreciate it, Tony. Always fun and easy chatter to to talk with you about things. Um, just I'm on all social medias at Scott Agnes, and then uh, Fieldhouse Files, Fieldhouse Files podcast. So uh, that's where you can find me. Pretty straightforward. Believe it or not, two people who talk all the time can talk to each other for a very long time exactly. without a script. Without yeah, a scratch, very easy. You can yes, Scott's Twitter is on the screen. If you're on YouTube watching this podcast, is on Twitter at Locked On Pacers, and I am there at T East NBA. Thank you guys so much. Tomorrow. Be talking Pacers Knicks, what happened, what adjustments the team's made, what it means going forward. Should be a fun week. Lots of important games for this team as they go back on the road. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>